Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the barber shop. For me, it is like fanboy moment after moment because the business just blows you away. The energy of the entrepreneur blows you away. What they're building is just massive and so purposeful. And today we have the founder of the Masters Union, Pratham. Welcome to the barber shop and thank you so much for taking the time. Of course, thanks so much for having me. My family business professor at college used to say this that the first generation builds it, the second generation grows it, and the third generation brings it down to the ground. The fact that you've gotten people like Tanmay Bhatt and Karan Johar and people from NASA on their time, but for your students, is another fascinating thing that I took away when I came to you guys. Another thing, I think education is considered to be a content problem. That somehow this content has to be transformed from me, the teacher, to you, the student. It's actually not a content problem. It's a motivation problem. So telling me that day, the utilization of uh, IIM classroom is like a business. It's less than twenty percent. Less than twenty percent. They're empty most of the time. People like use it for like you know their own studies. Yeah. Like, akela bed ke main classroom mein bed ke padlunga. In a century, that's what they say, right? When when I think Sachin said this. When I scored a century, my first boundary was important because mm. that gave you the confidence to me. Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the barber shop. Um, very few times I meet a young entrepreneur for the first time, and for me it is like fanboy moment after moment because the business just blows you away the energy of the entrepreneur blows you away what they're building is just massive and so purposeful um and that was the experience i had when i went to the masters union and today we have the founder of the masters union pratham welcome to the barber shop and thank you so much for taking the time of course thanks so much for having me uh we have you know i met you like for an hour mm. but in that one hour I was blown away by what you are doing uh, at the Masters Union and the way you're building it, your approach to education. So I think for some time, I just want to go deep and understand uh, the business you're building sure. and how you're thinking about being a top 10 business school uh, as per in, in the world. Yeah. Over, I, don't, I don't know what the time period for that aspect. Five years from today. Five years from today. Seven years so, in the beginning. So the qualifying batch of 2029. Should enter. That should be the one. Top ten. That should but be the talk one. Talk about that aspiration, that vision, and how you're making it come to come to life. No, I think uh, in India we don't have a single university in the top 250. Okay. Forget about top 100 or top 10. Even top 250 we don't have. And I think ISC Bangalore features like in a very consolatory way in the 250 to 300 band. Okay. They don't even get a rank. You know, they just get a band. Okay. And so, uh, and I was like, why is that the case, right? And the reason that we figured out is not because of a dire lack of funding. There are many universities that are in top 250 that don't have as much funding as some of the Indian institutions. It's not for lack of talent. I think clearly. Clearly, I mean, that's not the problem, right? I think it's a lack of strategy. Okay. Very honestly. Um, and we'll talk about why ranking is not just a vanity metric, why it's actually important for the larger economy as well. We'll come to that. Uh, but we thought, hey, listen, if we have the right strategy, if we figure out what are the ranking parameters and we hit the parameters where they hurt the most, perhaps we can do it in a much more capital efficient way and in a much more faster uh, timeline. So we thought let's gun towards a top 10 global B-School ranking in seven to eight years of okay. our existence. So seven academic years, eight financial years, if you will. <laughs> and what are, the, uh, what are the metrics on which... It's very interesting. Almost 50% of the metric is placements driven. So okay. how well are your graduates doing after they finish your MBA? And a big chunk of that 50% actually comes from this mathematical formula, which is post-MBA salary minus pre-MBA salary divided by pre-MBA salary. So your growth... Oh, really? Post-MBA minus pre-MBA. Pre right. Wow, interesting. And what is that number? What's a good number for that? So it's very interesting. Again, uh, globally, that number is not very high. 
because in the US, in Western countries, your pre MBA salary, let's say, is, let's say 100K, okay. 80K. Post MBA would be like 150K, 180K, 200K. So 2X Correct. is considered to be very good in, in the US. Correct. But in India, think about IMs and ISB and Masters Union and SPJNs of the world. What we have going for us is that pre MBA salary in India, just structurally low. speaking, is very low. Very low. Correct. Right? I mean, most of our, our undergrad colleges, their placements happen at 3 lakhs, 4 lakhs. Correct. I mean, that's the. That's really the number there, right? Correct. And post-MDA for good schools is not that bad. Correct. Right? Because the PNGs and the Bains, McKinsey's, Microsoft, they pay well. Correct. So in India, that number goes up to 4x, 5x also. Wow. Right. So 50% is taken care of by a low baseline of NBC. Exactly. Exactly. And very few people recognize that. So if you look at the ranking, and if you just look at one parameter, which is this salary percentage increase, Growth, huh? Indian institutions do really well. In fact, the number one Indian institution is the number one global institution in that parameter, which is ISB. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like the ranking. You can go onto the ranking today, just filter by this specific parameter, and ISB will be number one. Yet, in the overall ranking, we fall behind. Because the other 50%? Because the other 50% is different, right? What is that? The other 50%, a big chunk is research. Okay. Around 10 to 15% is research. And there, we are not as strategic about the kind of research that we do. Number one. Number two, a lot of it is structural stuff, like what percentage of your student community is female? Okay. What percentage of your teaching community is diverse? Uh, how, what percentage of your board is international? How many, what is the faculty mobility? What, what that means is how many of your faculty actually travel abroad for their research work or for their collaborations and how many people from outside actually come to your campus? So all of these things is where we lose out on. Right? And these things are actually in your control. Correct. Right, you can actually have a KPI assigned to one of your team members or one of the departments around this and hit that KPI really well. We just don't do it. Wow. So that's is that's is that the seeding trigger for starting the Masters Union or was it something before that? I know let's let's go back a little bit. Sure. You you've run a business in the US. Before the Masters Union, you you ran a business in the content task space in the US, um, fresh out of college. Uh, but what was that experience like in terms of some of the learnings you got building that business out in in New York yeah. before you kind of came here and started this? Um, so actually that business was started as a class project. Okay. Um, and it was a class project given to us by a professor called Adam Grant. Okay. Of and course. he's a very popular professor. Of course. Uh, and that project eventually became a product and the product became a company. Okay. And we ended up running that company, me and my business partner, was Lebanese, okay. name is Randy, for almost 10 years after that. Now, that business was a hardcore SaaS business, right? And so all the same SaaS metrics, MRR, ARR, you know, mm -hmm. we are going to these trade shows and doing these stalls and selling our product, um, making sure NPS is high, making sure retention is high, making sure all. So I think running a SaaS business, is, it was a great MBA for me. You know, <laughs> I did not do my MBA, by oh. the way. <laughs> you know, it's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, so running that SaaS business, uh, I think taught me three or four things, basically. First, it taught me sales. Okay. Uh, in the US, selling your product is much harder than in India. Because in the US, you're competing with at least five more similar products. In India, generally, there are more white spaces in SaaS. Correct. Right. So in the US, we were competing with companies that were 10 times our size. And the only way we could beat them was through our energy and our charisma. Right. Because me and my business partner would do each sale ourselves. So I think sales was the first thing. I think second was this entire marketing funnel that takes place in SaaS. Now, SaaS is a business that can be automated, that can be templatized, that can be 
uh, made very systematic, right? There is little hustle that you can do in marketing, but there is a lot of process and structure that you can put. Uh, so, you know, all of our campaigns were, you know, dynamically optimized in real time. All of those things were happening. I think that is something I learned in the US, which even in India till today, I don't see a lot of companies doing you know, that amount of dynamic optimization. Every day, the landing page is changing. Every day, the conversion rates are improving. Every day, the CACs are reducing. And we're actually, the other thing was bootstrapping a company. So we tried to raise in the US, but since both of us were not American, ah. it was very hard for us to raise. Really? Yeah, because people were not convinced that we'll get our H1Bs. Okay. And Randy was from um, Lebanon. Lebanon, so it was much harder for him. Correct. I eventually did get my H1B, uh, but still again, like, would it renew, Trump comes in. So yeah. all of these things always like forced us to bootstrap. We could just never fundraise, even though the business was very healthy. Yeah. We were profitable from year two onwards. Okay but you could never fundraise. And so bootstrapping in the US is doubly hard, right? Because the salaries in the US are so much more expensive. Oh, correct. So we tried to figure out this model where few of the team members are in India, you know, working overnight, uh, and few of the team members are in the US and try to figure out this offshoring model. Oh, yeah. um, so I think bootstrapping, we learned a lot. You know, we never had an office. We used to work from Randy's home. Really? Uh, and we used to live with his two brothers <laughs> and his mother which made for great Lebanese food. Um, I'm like obsessed with Lebanese food because I lived with them for so long. I think all of these things really taught me business 101 um, and discipline of doing a business. So when we came back to our respective countries, he went back to Lebanon, I came back to India. This is pre-COVID. This is just pre-COVID, yeah. Uh, but you run it for like a sizable eight, seven, yeah, nine yeah, years, right? Nine to 10 years, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, traveled the US doing that, started in New York, then built an office in LA, built an office in SF. Uh, you know, did that entire US, uh, you know, the American dream circuit, completed that. I think that was a huge learning. Uh, and I think that's when I realized that education, like real education will only happen if you actually run a business. Um, no books can teach you anything, even if they're taught by Adam Grant. <laughs> yeah. You know, the end of the day, you have to get your hands dirty and only then when you learn something. And that's, and you wanted to come in and start something in education or did you want to do something in impact? Do you want to do something in impact um, uh, through foundations or did you want to build a for-profit venture, yeah. which was more enterprise in, I think in, in its, in its uh, formation? I wanted to do something in education for sure, right? So education in India is such a hugely wide space, right? It's so empty. You can, it's an empty canvas. You can do anything you want to do, right? Uh, there are very few high-quality institutions in India. Okay. But there's a huge demand for high-quality institutions. That's why students go abroad. This year, I think some 9 to 10 lakh students have gone abroad in Correct. search of better quality education. Right? So that's basically a market that you can easily retain in India if Correct. you create a few good institutions. Um, and I was like, okay, let it be education. The other thing about education is that there's very little competition. Your competition is large legacy institutions. Correct. Right? And they don't consider you their competition. Correct. And so you can basically run at your own pace. And Ola is going to always be after Uber. Correct. Uber is always, always going to be after Ola. Correct. But here, if I come up with something new, no one's going to copy me for at least three, four years. Correct. You know, so all of these reasons were convincing enough for me to get into education. Also, as a business, education has very good gross margins. Correct. Right. And I was looking for a gross margin business whose, ma whose profile matches that of SaaS. Was not going to happen in FMCG. Correct. <laughs> uh, was not going to happen in other service sectors in healthcare, etc. So it had to be education. Um, and in terms of why we decided to do a for-profit versus a not-for-profit, we were very clear that you want to build a business school. 
and not an engineering school. Okay. Right. Uh, that's where the large white space actually is. So in, in engineering, you can have uh, IITs for undergrad. You'll have some SRM, VIT. These are good money pal. They are good colleges, right? Correct. But if you talk about studying undergrad business, you don't have very many good colleges. You'll probably have SRCC. Yeah. You'll probably say Symbiosis or Christ. Yeah. And if you look at the average salaries that students get coming out of the institutions, it's incredibly low. It's in the vicinity of three to six lakhs. Right? Yeah. That's that's quite low. I mean, Correct. at that salary, you can't really um, afford a nice place to live in. Correct. In, in, a, in a city like Delhi or Bombay or Bangalore, right? Correct. And so I thought, you know, there's a very wide space there. So let's build a business school, both undergrad there, and postgrad. Is, is there industrial demand for 21-year-old undergrads coming out of a business uh, graduate degree? There's, I, I, there's a huge demand for skilled 21-year-olds, right? And there are three or four skills that all businesses need that don't get today. Okay. So for example, if you need an accounting executive today who knows P2P, R2R, O2C, which is procured to pay, order to cash, and record to report, which are three basic accounting principles, you will not get it today. You'll have to get the guy and your CA guy will actually train that train person. person. Yeah. You will not get him pre-baked. Correct. Right. Similarly for marketing, you'll have to train them at the job. You'll get high energy people, you'll get people who are open to learning, the good attitude, but they're not coming very well trained. They're still learning 4Ps, they're not really updated with what's happening latest at all, right? Hands have not been dirty yet at all. Zero. You know, they still, I mean, if you look at some of the University of Delhi syllabi, the last reprint was in 1997. 97 marketing looked very different. I mean, it was, it was a different project altogether. Right? Even accounting, like no one uses like those registers for accounting anymore. But that's how we are still teaching. We start with credit and debit. And by the time students understand like credit and debit, they've lost interest. They're like, don't teach me the tool. Tell me what the problem this tool is solving first. Correct. Right? Like, I mean, Elon Musk gives this example that uh, if you're trying to teach someone how to, uh, how a refrigerator works, there are two ways to do it. First, you start with how a screwdriver works <laughs> and then what refrigeration is and what are these, you know, whatever, heat transfer equations or whatever. Or the other thing you can do is give him a broken refrigerator and tell the person to tinker with it for two days, three days. The person will figure it out for himself or herself. Correct. And that's a much better way to learn. So anyways, we thought that business school is going to be, and let's make it for profit for two reasons. One is that it'll be much easier to raise capital. Okay. See, as an institution that's an NGO or a not-for-profit, it's very hard to raise money in India. Compliance and a bunch of things. I, I, I mean, compliance is one thing, but in India to get CSR funding from companies is incredibly hard. It's easy to raise money from ECs. <laughs> Genuinely. That is true. That is true. And and we've uh, had the Kruti from People. I don't know whether you saw that episode. Not yet. Kruti from People Education was on your mm -hmm. end. Every year, it's just about kind of the same thing. You look. One is raising money is harder. Number two, ability to measure return on capital because there's no profit. So how do you really measure it? The proxy is cute. Yeah. So completely agree. That's a big struggle for her. Even though the work she's doing is phenomenal. Yeah. No, even like, I mean, in the US, you know, these large corporates would give gifts to universities. In India, that doesn't happen. In India, uh, if let's say I am a large business owner, like a large business promoter, won't take any names. <laughs> Instead of giving money to an existing university, they'd rather build their own university. Correct. And what that does is that that takes money away from existing institutions who could have leveraged it better. Correct. And you started building a university from scratch. 
and the thing is most of that money goes into buying the land and building the building and not into education education not into research right so i think so we were very clear that we want to raise capital at some point in time so let's structure ourselves as a for profit right uh, this is number two and number two is if you're a business school you cannot claim to be teaching business if your own business is not a business is not a business correct um and so you know we hold ourselves very high standards in terms of our financials right in terms of our marketing our content in terms of our operations so whatever we are trying to teach we try to walk that talk as much as possible and that keeps the faculty at high standards as well because they can't just bullshit now yeah they can't just say in theory mein aise hota hai bhai tum to kar nahi rahe the student will say ki aap to kar nahi rahe so i'm teaching students content marketing teaching them interactive content marketing i don't have the authority to teach that until i am practicing it myself but i was amazed to see the kind of faculty that you have gotten together one is of course the infrastructure like master union to base it in the heart of gurgaon in the most corporate building possible what you have converted into like a really beautiful campus and then you have hostels which are like across the road so traditional traditional education intelligence would say that if you want to teach people in a campus environment build the campus away from the city um i studied in nit nagpur and i am yeah. you know both campuses were kind of secluded away from the city uh, so students are together and you know all of that but the huge downside of that is access to industries almost zero yeah. right which you have solved for by saying access to industries what we'll kind of create but we'll do it in our own interesting way yeah. uh the other thing that i find fascinating pratham about masters union by the way i was talking to someone about masters union the other day and this was a feedback i wanted to give you this is probably what people think when they think of the brand they thought it's a cross border financial services business like western like western union that <laughs> 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 like, that is interesting the like, colors are also the same actually yeah. <laughs> black and yellow right yeah. Yeah. so yes that's that's a side track but uh the fact that you have gotten 100 plus faculty people like tanmay bhat and karan johar and people from nasa so this super diversified teaching specific courses um on their time but for your students is another fascinating yeah thing that i took away when i came to you guys so talk about those two things yeah. one is location location and infra the thinking yeah. about infra and access to industry and second is how do you kind of think about tutelage through sure. through these 100 through practitioners yeah. yeah so location was actually very easy see the thing is that this campus university system was started with oxford and cambridge they are situated far from london yeah and they are their own ecosystems and it's great if you are into liberal arts if you're studying history and philosophy and psychology then you can work in isolation right you almost need that isolation because you want to be independent thinkers you want to philosophize you want to talk big picture which you probably can't do in a city it's a gurukul approach right it's gurukul people, people go over people go which is totally fine even in engineering to an extent that's acceptable but when it comes to business i think situating yourself away from the city is actually a disservice to the students right because business schools are essentially trained schools you know more business schools are trained schools you're actually trying to train students in specific business skills correct that can be best learned by people who have done business before right absolutely as an apprenticeship model it's an apprenticeship model i mean you cannot learn swimming by reading a book yeah it has to be inside in a pool. pool correct and it has to be someone who knows how to swim correct right 
who just hasn't read a book on swimming okay. and has done some research on swimming, he cannot teach you how to swim. Okay. So in that sense, business is more training than it is theory. theory. Right. And so that's why we were convinced that we should be in a building where there are as many good, well-governed companies. Right. So there are students are in that ecosystem where there is almost this osmosis that's happening. Yeah. So like, you know, our, I remember we were taking the round, we had that coffee shop, right? That, right. that large food court. And in that food court, 20%, 30% are my students. The rest yeah. are all these professionals. Okay. And that osmosis that happens, like that's more I can do for a kid's education than any class ever can. Correct. Right? Um, so that's why we decided to pay 220 rupees per square feet. <laughs> so the, damn, it's a, it's a courageous call, right? Yeah, it's expensive. But at the end of the day, it's actually not, it's less courageous, I would say. You know why? Because if I were to build my own campus, that would have cost me 500 crores easy. Land and build, and that, that's it. That's where you exhaust the money, right? Yeah, and you exhaust your money. So here, I pay rent, which is maybe 5-6% of my total fees. Not that much, if you think about it. Yeah. Right. My maintenance cost is very, very low. Right. And the capex that has gone into the campus, that's, again, just 40,000 square feet, that's nothing. So, that's so interesting. So that's why, if, and I can teach as many students, uh, here that maybe let's say an IM teaches in hundreds of acres. Yeah, you're telling me that the utilization of a IM classroom is ab like abysmal. It's less than twenty percent. Less than twenty percent. They're empty most of the time. Yeah, I remember IM like any classroom would mostly be empty. Empty and people like use it for like you know their own studies. Yeah. Like okay, I'll sit in my classroom and sit and learn. Correct. I mean that's expensive real estate. Absolutely. But yeah. because it's far away, that it's kind of absorbed. But in your case, because it's close by, you're saying, okay, this is now. Now I need. You have to utilize it. Yeah. And in fact, you know, a lot of corporates have started doing their like corporate trainings at our campus. Oh, and you, you charge money for it. And we charge money for it. That actually becomes a revenue stream for us. Oh, wow. A lot of corporates come to our campus to get executive education. Right. So it works out beautifully. So even in the evening, 6 to 9 p.m., most of the classes are full. Because if it's not the students, it's the corporates who are coming and doing their thing. And that, then again, the osmosis goes from the cafeteria and the location to in the Absolutely. school itself. I'll give you another example. So, you know, Entrepreneurs Organization, this EO. Yeah. Right? So, a lot of EO events in Gurgaon happen on our campus. So, that's a hundred promoters who are coming to campus almost every other week, engaging with students just serendipitously, like not even by design. Correct. And imagine like the good it does to the students. Okay. I mean, your, your office is five minutes away from the campus. Correct. It is so easy for you to just come. Come. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with mm -hmm. you, right? Uh, I think in retrospect, all good decisions seem smart, but to do it, because has this been done by anyone before? In the US, a lot of campuses are actually like this. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of campuses. In fact, if you think about NYU also, Stern School of Business, in the middle of the city. I mean, NYU was already in the middle of the city, um, but Stern is actually a few floors in a building. Oh, wow. But is it like in, in the middle of the industrial? Uh, yeah, it's on, uh, it's like by Washington Square Park. Oh, wow. Right? It's like 10 minutes from uh, Financial District, which is where, you know, the Wall Street and World Trade Center, etc. All, all is. And then 10 minutes from uh, uh, the Midtown area where you have the Times Square. Wow. So it's incredibly easy for anyone to just come. And a lot of people go to Stern over, let's say, a Wharton or even over, let's say, a Booth or Haas because Stern is in New York. That is interesting. And on, 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 on... The on tutelage. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, again, as I said, it's very hard for someone who's not run business before to teach business authoritatively. 
right? And students are also very smart these days, right? If you teach them something, right? Let's say about marketing, they probably know a little bit more about you how marketing works today. Correct. Right. So, if, if for example, a professor who's teaching marketing comes from an academic background, has never run a campaign himself before, yeah, students will take that professor for a ride. They will not respect him. Today's students will not. Maybe yesteryear students, like my parents' generation, they probably accepted whatever the professor told them. Today, the students question, right? Yeah. And that's why you need a Manoj Kohli to come and teach marketing, yeah. taking examples from his real-time data at Airtel. Correct. Right. You can't have a professor only alone teaching. And so when we reach out to people like Manoj Kohli or people like Karan or people like Tanmay or people like yourself, and we request, can you give us some time on your calendar every weekend or every week, one or two hours, come interact with students in a structured fashion. People don't say no. Because I ask them, it's five minutes away. Yeah. How time can you give Correct. Okay, so no one doesn't Unless someone's IPO is pending for six months. That is true. No one doesn't So, and it's worked out really well for us because that's also another version of asset-like. Yes. Because you are now, you're basically now bringing in practitioners on their time. Mm -hmm. But making it super flexible, both in terms of time as well as location. They don't yeah. have to like fly to Ahmedabad or fly to Lucknow for this. Mm -hmm. They just have to drive to your... And some of them just have to take an elevator down. That is so true. Right. So in the same building that we are, we have, I think, BCGs, uh, Bank of America, Expedia, EY, Rekit. So it's very easy for those folks to just press the button, come down, teach, then go back up. They come like, uh, in the lunch break, they come to so, but how did you think of like like Karan Johar teaching a 20 hour course on movie yeah. economics? Like for me that was a seriously fascinating yeah. thing. I would have loved to have learned yeah. something like that at I am Lucknow. It just did. And if think about like I I take myself back 14 years, mm -hmm. I feel old now. Um I was not able to enjoy the in classroom experience because I just felt the professors did not have their finger on the pulse of business. Practically, yeah. I think they were great guys, fabulous academicians. Um, our professor of strategy, who is now the director of I am Lucknow, Professor Archana Shukla, yeah. was one of the a very good teacher with great intent. But I don't think in classroom teaching from an academic who's on a PhD yeah. in business yeah. is the way to learn business. Yeah. So all the courses just kind of fell flat for me personally. Yeah. Uh, may not have been for others. Yeah. And my learning happened at McKinsey. Yeah. I suddenly realized what business was. I was like, what was I doing for two years? This, right. is, this is real coaching. And you, you're right. Apprenticeship is the way for it to happen. Uh, but for you to think about, to take that further and say, hey, I'm going to come up with eight semesters or six weeks each. Each semester, people are going to create their own companies. Yeah. By the way, they're going to be taught by someone from NASA yeah. or Karan Johar. Yeah. How, how does that happen? Like, yeah. Is that a playbook that you thought about? Is his expertise... Where, where does this come from? So two things. First about Karan. See, Karan is, I think, he's great at what he does, right? And we wanted to bring in a perspective from an entrepreneur who is not from a traditional business setting. You know, there are enough FMCG players, there are enough FMCG founders, there are enough manufacturing founders, there are enough telecom founders, bankers who come to campus consultants. But for students to learn business from someone from, let's say, a cricketing background, Correct. Something we're going to announce very soon. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited for that. And someone from a Bollywood background, that does two things. That, first of all, brings students' excitement levels up. <clears throat> See, in, in business schools, 
our job is not to just you know <clears throat> give syllabus to students not to just give input in you know your finance or their marketing or that's also to light their curiosity it's also to make them think beyond the boxes that they have been confined to you know so when current comes to class and they learn about the bollywood economics they learn about how each movie's pnl is structured now suddenly they realize the importance of you know what they learned in finance what they learned in marketing how that can be applied to bollywood i think the conversation there just becomes a lot more exciting second thing is it works amazingly well as content marketing for us as a brand we are new and we are competing with established brands well, legacy ISB institutions isb and i am right so for us to really stand out we have to create good content yeah and current teaching of course makes for beautiful content it brings us in the limelight correct right? i saw some of the videos on youtube hmm. where he breaks down like his assumptions on movie economics this is what it's going to cost this is what ticket sales are going to be this is what ott sales are going to be here's broadly what my worst case scenario oh, yeah. he is so sharp yeah and and he was able to break it down very few businessmen can break down their business in a 90 second reel correct and he did a phenomenal job of that um, and so students get very excited obviously with these things their attendance like obviously he 100% and that works out really well but the other thing is that uh, it makes for great content marketing for us now to answer your second question which is about this course structure right this was actually through a process of optimization so in the very first year we did not have this structure in the very first year we had this one thing where practitioners were going to come and teach that was something i was part of our design moving you know when we started but at that time we didn't have this start a business in each term thing okay we just had this one business plan competition that everybody has correct no differentiation there every business school in the world has a business plan competition but what we realized was that at the end of the first year people had learned more from the business plan competition than yeah, from course. any of the classes right number one number two what we saw was that a lot of the classes what they were learning in classes they were actually applying to their business plan and that's when those lessons actually solidified in their mind correct right so you learned a consumer behavior concept right and you will forget about it after the exam correct but if you applied it in your business it sticks it sticks with you so that is a beautiful revelation that we had so now we are in a third year and over time we have now come up with this playbook whereby in each term and each term is 6 weeks long you have to do a 0 to 1 sprint okay right and you have to build a small business so in term 1 every student has to build a dropshipping business and whatever you have decided the decided the industry ha decided the industry and we will tell you why you have decided certain industries dropshipping is an amazing concept because it teaches you guerrilla marketing yeah it teaches you basic supply chain it teaches you basic website design distribution instagram connecting all of it together shopify all, all of that works and most importantly you will make money it's very difficult not to make money yeah. in dropshipping correct right so in the very first term when students who have never built a business see real time revenue coming into their bank accounts and them making profit they get this confidence ki main bhi kar sakta hu the first thing we have to do to students is build their confidence rest everything will follow so in term 1 we build their confidence by showcasing to them see listen in just 6 weeks you made 1 lakh rupees in revenue could you have ever imagined in your life making 1 lakh yeah right and now suddenly the the, the bottle is open like the the mocktail is open you have tasted blood now you have tasted blood and once you taste entrepreneurial blood, blood or entrepreneurship <laughs> it's very difficult to come back from it correct that's what they call it the itch to and it 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 doesn't go away 
So first term with dropshipping, our only objective is to create that itch. Interesting. Chaska. Chaska. And it's very easy to start a dropshipping business. It takes one week to set everything up. It takes two weeks to figure out your GTM. Third to fourth week, your revenue starts to start. And fifth to sixth week, you can optimize You can start thinking about PMF. You start speaking that language. I saw some of the products that, yeah. that, that came out of yeah. uh, your, I think your graduating batch now. Gradu- correct. correct. Fa- fa- fascinating stuff. In turn two, we try something else. So in turn two, everybody has to build a YouTube business. That content. means content. They have to create YouTube content or Instagram content or whatever, right? And most people would say that I'm camera shy. I, you know, this is not me. Like this is not my persona. But this is the marketing of today. Yeah. Completely agree with you. I mean, right? Completely. <laughs> yeah. You won't believe Pratham. Uh, it's taken. I'm now 36 years old. Yeah. It's taken me 13 years after business school to finally realize. The consumers of today actually want to associate with brands beyond the brand communication. They won't fall for a simple ad of the brand ambassador. They want to know the person behind the brand. They are attached to the content. Barbershop was born fundamentally because we felt we had an opportunity to tell the Bombay Shaving Company story mm. through a lens of entrepreneurship, which is personal. Yeah, It was a very, very now counterintuitive move, but one that has worked for us. If we all had had that second term at Masters Union, yeah. it would have been probably a very natural thought process to say, this is what we need to do to make the business more successful. Mm. And it's it's the need of the art. Like people, you can't be shy about this anymore. Yeah. And I think another thing is that, and, and, and you'll probably know this better, and I'd love to hear from you. Do you think that in India, customers like to associate themselves Less with the brand and more with the person behind the brand? More Is now. that growing now? More now. For sure. Mm. People come to the Instagram page, they want to know who the founder is, they want to know... What the story is. What the story is, they want... People associate with... Like the Tesla-Elon story is very clear, right? Yeah. People associate with Tesla because of Elon. Elon. Um, and they identify as being a part of his pack. Yeah. In a way, right? Steve Jobs. Um, Steve Jobs. People, when they use an iPhone, for them it is... They're, they're connected part to of his... his so, they're yeah. part of his... His tribe. Um, happening a lot in India. You're seeing it happen on LinkedIn, for example, where people are CEOs and founders yeah. are getting hundreds and thousands of followers, millions of followers, people who will blindly follow them. And it is almost a definitive assumption that they're using the products she or he is making. Yeah. So founders are the new superstars, huh? Yeah. I I genuinely and so I don't think it'll create a thousand crore business. Yeah. But it will create a 25 crore wave, mm-hmm. which can become a because thousand crore business. Yeah. So that initial early adopters or lo- super like cultish loyalty mm. comes from comes strong. Yeah. So, for example, so many founders now uh, in India, Kunal at yeah. night has built like yeah. a personality which people are attracted to. Mm. So they use his product for him. They watch his ads for him. Mm. They share his stuff for him. Aman yeah. at uh, both. Absolutely, yeah. People put on both headphones because they want to be known as Aman's friend. Mm. Not because the sound is great. It must be. Mm. But I'm sure there are five other companies doing that. Mm. But because Aman is the face, they like his uh, his dialogues on Shark Tank. Yeah. They like what he posts on LinkedIn. They like that he's a relatable guy. Mm. They like his sense of clothes. They like... What is it like for you? Have you seen similar effects in Bombay Shaving Company? It is hard because, to be honest, our product is a very personal product. Mm. It is inside the bathroom. Mm. So it is hard for me to measure if this has led to someone identifying, but it's definitely led to a lot of top of mind. Mm. 
so our top of mind for our business has gone from 1.2% in june of 2022 mm-hmm. to almost 7% now in like what months. does that mean top of mind if you ask so we did this with 250 gillette mark 3 users in urban india delhi bombay bangalore okay yeah. and we tell them tell us the first brand that comes to mind um uh when interesting when we, when, we, when we say shaving foam shaving foam bombay shaving company Interesting. 7% said bombay shaving company first wow only 1% said it first longer so this tom spawned and uh, uh top of mind spawned and loyal purchasers got it right tom and spawned are critical and mm. so they're like cool they're now uh top of mind for for 7% very cool and the only thing that changed was barbershop I I I my my marketing head obviously kind of behaved me for this. Okay. <laughs> but I would like to believe that. Like no, I don't think it's the only thing, no. but it has played a big role. Big role. Sure. Every time I take a flight at an airport, someone would come up. There are four to five people who come and take selfies. Take selfies. Yeah. There are probably 25 people who have recognized. Mm. Five whom have have I felt it's important no, 50 enough to be recognized. Yeah. yeah. And, and five would have the courage to come and do it. Five people man on Delhi Chandigarh flight. Not Delhi Bombay. Yeah. Delhi Chandigarh. So If your face is becoming known, and I talk about Bombay Shaving Company, like my CEO will kick my ass if I don't talk about BSE twenty times an episode. Sure. But these are all my perspectives, right? Okay. They come from this company, mm. but it's absolutely getting into people's minds. Mm. It's not the objective only, mm. but it's oh, it's a lovely side of it. Okay. So you're right. I think your term two project is absolutely mm. spot on, and people are able to build their own content engine. Mm-hmm. uh it's it's fascinating it does two things you know for us the data that we have first is that of course students get a proof of work project uh-huh. when they're applying for jobs tomorrow they can just send that url that linkedin uh, you know url or instagram url or youtube page that this is my work correct right would you want to give me a marketing job it's very hard to say no to it yeah. think about it right yeah that's number one and number two again it gives them that confidence ki i can face the camera that i'm comfortable in my body right then i'm comfortable with my accent so a lot of our students who come from the southern states they actually have a huge huge complex that their accent is pulling them back in life are you serious yes absolutely big time because see the tech industry even though it's more based in bangalore if you look at the senior management it's more hindi it's more sort of bombay delhi north india, north india for whatever reason right and even if it's from like even if they are from south india their accent is is probably a little bit more mature so these kids who come to us with heavy accents they get comfortable in their skin when they're in front of the youtube uh, camera and they're getting likes and they're getting comments and someone is saying hey listen what you're saying is is totally right that's such amazing validation wow it elevates them it that, elevates them no that's amazing and every so then you do dropship you do uh uh you know a content it and it's okay youtube instagram yeah youtube instagram medium yeah some people are like mere ko nahi karna camera pe bilkul nahi aana to theek hai to medium pe kar to linkedin pe kar to twitter pe kar that's also okay put yourself out okay. there as you as you and we as one of our students was ca is a very interesting story is a ca and um, and and you know obviously you would think that he would create some finance content personal right. finance stuff he he did not he created this thing called the kumara's planet okay like uh, animal planet okay and he actually talks about like weird aspects of animals on instagram okay and he's growing he talks about how puffer fish uh, actually uses you know some herb that it finds in the ocean to get high 
that's his like most popular post really yeah i mean some like random as comments like this you know these facts or these factoids <laughs> and he'll just create that content and if you meet him he's a ca okay. so you can already place like yeah. what he, what his personality must yeah. be like very changed man after kumra's planet is his name kumra yeah sahil kumra <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. so cool. Uh, by the way, that's so. I was not on Instagram till the barbershop. Uh-huh. I joined now, and I just realized it's an amazing world. I've kind of gotten in touch with my friends and people I've lost in touch, lost touch with. But the fascinating thing is, I love following knowledge. Hmm. Knowledge, uh, like there's a there's a channel there's a handle called Did You Know Something? I'll I'll share. Ten it. years old. Ten years. Ah, me ko yah nahi yar kya hai. I like, but very yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Like, is able to put together videos and yeah. like fact i am i've i've gone through all of the stuff that he's put out there amazing and yeah. tell me a little bit about these practitioners so one is you have you so you have now a campus in the heart of the city mm-hmm. where there's osmosis of business understanding industry and students not only outside campus or in the building but also inside your facilities you have uh you know courses designed like movie economics or uh you know building or or, or startups that you are yeah, yeah it is yeah where access to now who are these practitioners give me uh, we have spoken about yeah. karan at length but yeah yeah uh, and manoj but who else are the people who sure so they are usually of two types first is former ceos or former cxos okay right so these are people who are probably in their mid 50s early 60s where they have sort of uh you know achieve whatever they wanted to achieve in life and now they really want to give back right so these are people who take time out even during weekdays from their chairmanship or from their you know ceo emeritus ship or whatever and then they come to campus and spend good time with students okay right so that's the one that's manoj kohli correct right then we have people who are probably give me a few examples of these uh, oh yeah yeah we, so navin munjal is the other example navin munjal runs hero electric correct right so he's probably mid 50s early 50s uh, and he's a very busy ceo correct he's actually a very busy ceo i mean given the given the space and given all his yeah and he's growing like i think month over month some 20% right. and year over year doubling i don't know some crazy metrics there but he wants to give back so he would come to campus these the full course we have some vcs we have anshu i don't know if you work with anshu and whiteboard prasha anshu prasha yeah yeah yeah, yeah of course so he, i am lucknow uh, yeah he was uh, correct correct um, so he comes and teaches the the vc course wow right so you have these people who have sort of you know done something in life now they want to give back that's one category the second category is people who are in the middle management who want a new source of income so i'll tell you a few more very interesting masters one is rajat mathur is the md of morgan stanley okay in india in india okay and he comes and teaches an entire course on how morgan stanley manages its people and how that has stood out against let's say goldman etc globally so him coming in automatically makes sure that the students are like wowed right? they're like okay the morgan stanley can be better hamare samne be better be like present be better be you know uh awake all of those things take care of themselves that's actually such an important point that if there is someone who is that senior and knows their shit students are always on their toes yep because they, they're inspired na in that moment they're inspired they want to impress and they want to impress yeah that's the word yeah we have uh, a former country manager of amazon coming and teaching supply chain wow right and he's very open like he, the thing is he, even though he comes with authority he's open to student ideas so he'll always ask them okay what can we do differently if you had to design amazon from scratch again how would you do it 
all of that stuff. And he tells them, hey, listen, reality is not like And a lot of things that we learn in school or in college, they make sense on paper. Yeah. Like 2 plus 2 is 4, ho jata, but reality is not like that. So these people give that reality check also to the students. In the presentation, they link it. But bhai, life is not like that. Actually, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. This is what you minus CAC over LTV is equal to positive. It's not like that in reality. Mein. Right. So I think those reality checks that they give, really benefit students. I think that's where true education starts. And then we also have a lot of people in mid-management who do this for extra income. Correct. Right. So they get... It's good for them, right? It's great for them. And and we, of course, have our um, standards, right? So we, we interview them. Uh, we talk to them. We make sure that, you know, they actually can add value, that they have the data sets, that they have the stories. And there's a huge process that is used to actually create the curriculum. So we have one of our full-time faculty members who's a curriculum expert sitting down with one of these practitioners, senior or junior, and making sure that we have 30 minute by 30 minute, you know, blocks, blocks of, of content that not only is relevant to the industry, uh, but also has some outcomes. Like at the end of 30 minutes, what did the student learn actually that he can apply or she can apply in the business that they're doing in that term? Wow. Right. All the exams, all the tests, all the assessments are all related to how you apply those concepts in your business. Not on some let A be equal to 3 and X be equal to Y so, and then do the calculation. No, those A, B, X, Ys are going to be real metrics from your business that you're running. So the curriculum talks to these outclass kind of challenges, these businesses that you're building. And all the teachers are trained to make sure that they're leveraging the outclass component to inform their curriculum. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to come and uh, kind of talk to you about, I think, if I look at world-class institutions that have been built of education, right? Um, the ability to attract great students is probably the most yeah. important ability. It's that everything, yeah. Right? And that ability is probably proxied by the success of alumni, Right? Uh, you go to a place because you want to emulate people who have come from that place in a way. We want the same opportunities that have come to classes before. You want the same jobs. You want the same faculty. So, in a way, uh, how do you get the best students to come to your college is probably the most difficult question that educate education entrepreneurs who are building institutions, yeah. uh, not at tech and so on, but who are building institutions, uh, are probably struggling with. Absolutely. Uh, you're inducting your third batch now. Fourth. Of, fourth. Fourth batch of, mm. uh, of uh, for business school and first batch for undergrad. Undergrad, correct. But it was fascinating for me to hear about how you used the COVID uh, yeah. uh, situation to get in an incredible inaugural batch yeah. for you. So just talk a little bit about that. So I think the biggest mistake institutions made is they start big. Right? So we started with 60 students only. And to get good 60 students, it's hard, but it's not impossible, right? And why it worked for us during COVID was that at that time, these good 60 students were actually on their way to other business schools globally, and right. even some in India. But because of COVID, all those classes were going to be held online, right? And nobody wants to do an MBA program online. So most of these students were thinking about deferring their admission anyways, Correct. right? And most colleges allowed it at that time, if you remember. Correct. So when we, even now, if you get a Harvard admit, it's easy to defer it. Uh, you can defer it. Uh, you can defer it. But that time, 30-30% of the badge used to defer. Correct. And this time, maybe 2% people Correct. defer, you know, Correct. for other reasons. Correct. So what happened was that 
those 60 kids that we were able to reach out to and the way we reached out to them was just we figured out who are the people who have good GMAT scores Correct. because you can get that list from the GMAT body. Correct. And then we just called them up and said, hey, listen, you know, we're building Masters Union and we'd love for you to be part of the first batch. Would you apply? And so a total, a total database at that time was 44,000 people. Right. And out of those 44,000 people, people who had more than 650 in GMAT was some 5, 6,000. Okay. So we reached out to them, called them. We got our masters to call them. Uh, like I remember Rajat Mathurji actually helped like us by calling some of the students and saying, listen, I'm going to be teaching. Would you like to be part of this cohort? Like we did all of that. Hmm. And um, we had some 600 kids out of those 5,000, 4, 5,000 kids who actually ended up submitting the application. Okay, amazing. Out of those 600, I think we gave offers to 80 or 90. And then hmm. when the time came for them to accept that offer, then they were evaluating what do we do? Correct. Right. Either I can, you know, wait one year, defer, go to Northwestern or go to INSEAD or go to Imperial or HEC Paris, uh, or I can give this business school a shot. And so in the first year, we 2021, 2022, wave two and all of that, right? So yeah. Wave one. Wave two, 2021 or wave two? 2020 or wave one? Huh, so we started 2020. Ah, yeah. 2021 was graduating batch was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Correct. So wave one. And that's when nobody knew what's going to happen, right? So people weren't even open to traveling. So that really worked in our favor, where 60 kids actually agreed to give Masters Union a shot over the other colleges that they'd gotten into. Correct. Right? And so they came to us for one year thinking that, this year we have a good outcome. So then, well and good. And we didn't get the deferral the next year. So Plan B was great. Plan B was already there for them. And Plan A, you made it even more, like you made the cherry on the top by like not charging By much. not charging much. I mean, we only charge them some security deposit, so that they don't run away. Uh, we only charge them like a minimal admission fees or something. So our net-net fee that students paid at that time was like 20% or 15%, not even. And so obviously in the first year we made a loss. Correct. But that was okay because that was our investment because by getting good batch. students. Yeah. And talk about that batch. That batch, I mean, they'll always have a special, special place in my heart. So those people were obviously earlier doctor mindset. Correct. Right. So they... Or they were almost more entrepreneurial than the average student. Um, they they were took a bet with you. Sorry? They took a bet with you. They took a bet with me. And I think uh, me and the masters, we were sort of like in the front line. We didn't have like admission counselors. We didn't have like a salespeople. Correct. Right? We had ourselves talking to students and saying, listen, this is what we are trying to do. This is the class structure. This is the curriculum for each of the courses. Are you interested? And by the way, that curriculum was really good. Even though it wasn't what it is today, correct. it was still quite better than, than the alternatives. Correct. And the students were like, yeah, this makes sense. And I'm getting it so cheap. And so at the end of the day, if I get a good placement, if I have good companies coming to campus, well and good. Right. In India, a big proxy for brand is also the placement. Correct. No, it, it is the proxy in my view. Yeah. So even though we didn't have any alums and no alumni network, we had two things going for us. One, we had a great master network. Sure, we didn't have students who were working in VCG. But we had someone from VCG teaching, na? Correct. So you would get that access. Correct. We didn't have anyone in Microsoft as our alumni working. We didn't have the Satya Nadellas of the world. Correct. But we had someone from Microsoft actually teaching. teaching. Correct. So in that sense, we had that access to corporates. Correct. Which students need and deserve. So, so what we had to just do was convince them of this. And make sure that these companies from where the masters are coming, actually come and recruit as well. Oh, that's a big leap to take, right? Yeah. So we, in the very first year, focused maybe 60% of our energies 
as a team on placements, on making sure that these 60 students get the best placements that they can possibly get, right? And students would get a placement, let's say of 20 lakhs, we'd say, chhod de. Fir se try karte hai, shayad 25 ka ho jai, shayad 22 ka ho jai, shayad 30 ka ho jai, chhod de, koi baad nahi. Right, so we actually, you know, we made some, uh, we burned some bridges there with some companies, but that's okay because we really wanted to get the best outcomes for the students. And in that process, we didn't even realize that our average salary of our first batch crossed that of I'm Ahmedabad and ISB. Because we were so focused on those 60 students. Imagine if all these masters put their energies together, can't they place 60 students at like the best of their abilities? And there are 60 students who had, most of whom had default admits to NCAD and... Uh, well, NCAD was well, one, maybe one from NCAD, not everyone was NCAD. Okay, but... But yeah, tier 1.5 colleges. No, I wouldn't say tier 1. Like there was no Wharton or Harvard or Chicago or Haas, but there was one NCAD, I remember. Wow. And what, what, what was that salary bracket? For the first so year? at that time, uh, our average salary was around 28.2 lakhs. Right? That's sizable. Yeah, and that like just beat ISB and I'm Ahmedabad. And we realized one month before we were actually about to release our placement report that this is happening. And so then in the last one month, we put even more effort to make sure that that actually happens. And we knew that, you know, if we release this placement report, people will question it. This is impossible. That how is this, like, you know, this is a fraud or this is a scheme or this is something. And so we got the report audited by the same organization that audits I'm Ahmedabad's report. Wow. So that people trust. And once that placement report got released, then the brand flywheel started running. Correct. In the first batch is everything. Everything. The first batch is everything. So the first batch we took a loss. We took a very small number of kids and we worked really hard on them. The flywheel started running. And now we get good students because we have good placements and we have good masters. Right? And now because we have good placements and we have good students, we get good full-time faculty also that's ready to come, leave their like, jobs in, let's say, Wharton or Harvard also, move to India and teach. Give me a sense of the economics of an education business uh, okay. in business. Like th our viewers, Pratham, are people yeah. who want to be entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. So they love to get inside the mind of an entrepreneur, think like her or him uh, and evaluate what they want to do in the future, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Uh, so sounds good. Huh. So let's do this. So let's say, um, let's say the fees is 100 rupees. Correct. Right. Now, you know, out of 100 rupees, only 25 is direct cost. Okay, what does that mean? I mean, above gross margin, right? Okay. So that's going to be the cost of the teachers and the professors who are teaching you. Okay. Because that's the product that you're getting. Correct. So basically, most education businesses work at a 75% gross margin. So 100 rupees you earn, 100 rupees revenue you collect, 25 goes into teaching. Okay. So now it includes your practitioner cost. Practitioner cost, faculty cost. Does it include your um, uh, the rental for your... Uh, no. For your, okay, no. Okay. No. So 25 is a direct cost, like COGS equivalent. Correct. That's a COGS equivalent. Product. Okay. COGS, right? And thereafter, your CAC, your marketing costs in education business is actually very, very, very low. Because of word of mouth? And because so of word of mouth, because, I mean, there's, in fact, in our case, we have negative CAC. Because students actually pay to apply. They have to pay an application fees to apply, right? Which Correct. is almost, whatever, four, five thousand rupees Correct. per student. So if you're getting 2,000 applications, your CAC gets covered. Covered. And, and then some. And then some. So CAC is actually negative. Correct. And that's where this business becomes a very good business. What, so what, what sits below the gross margin? That, that's where the rent comes. Okay. The cost of, uh, you know, the rest of the team, the placements right. team and the content team. So and salaries the, and rent. Salaries and rent. 
and that's about it right and so that's the money that remains can go into giving students grants for their startups can go into you know giving them um, you know seed money to set up their youtube stations and set up their you know their stalls for drop shipping in front all, all of that and even going to real education so a lot of the money we give back to students because that helps us again build the brand so for example uh, in the last four terms students have to build one business in a sustained long term way proper okay. real business right we call it the venture initiation program divided into four parts starts with mvp creation then gtm then pmf and then finally the seed round which is day after and you're coming to yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you have 10 companies presenting to 40 vcs right so full y combinator like demo day that's happening um so we'll be you know uh, doing that but sorry what were we talking about before this uh, the economics of the economics yeah so we actually give a lot of the money back to students through grants so that they can run these businesses Yeah, that's what right. that works out really well. That also is probably ten to fifteen percent of whatever we earn goes back to students, right? Uh, and then of course, because we are new, there are a lot of inefficiencies in the business. Okay. So currently, we just break even. So that seventy-five percent is kind of going into is going to salary. So for example, my placement team is a large team. They work with students on their decks, on their portfolios, on their CVs, on their interviews. I have maybe a fifteen twenty percent very professional. sales team that's going out to corporates and selling my students product by product literally we have a booklet which has i've seen that the cvs yeah you have seen that yes yes so we actually show the cvs to the corporates there ki sir aapke liye wala bachcha acha rahega nahi wala bachcha acha rahega madam ye dekho ye bachcha aisa hai so we actually are doing a proper sale process of our students and that i mean just that team's cost is probably around 25% but that's the do other institutions no, do nobody does that Generally, most business schools have, have a placecom. Placecom, yeah, right. And placecom has no cost. Yeah, it's basically. But other B schools have crazy high estate management cost. Yeah. In some of these IMs, they spend over like five six crores on just horticulture. That's crazy. Remember, like imagine yeah. like Hamlet was a beautiful <laughs> campus, and that costs a lot of money. That's not going into education. That's going into making things look pretty. Yeah, which is creating also, an environment where people, but you're you're. Which right. is important. Which is important, but like, they, they could have done with like cheaper trees. I mean, some trees are very expensive <laughs> to manage and maintain. They just are, you know. Um, That's fascinating. So, and how do you see this build out? Your your incoming batch is not two forty kids. Yeah. So, so that's the economics. You get the economics. Twenty twenty five percent cogs, seventy five percent gross margin, and the rest seventy five percent is which split between twenty five percent and goes into placements. Twenty five percent goes into Rent, building, student experiences, hostel, all of that, mm. and then twenty percent rest of the salaries for the admin team, admissions team. Uh, you know, at some point, the placements thing you want to give it back to the students in a way, the way ISB probably. Does. So once the flywheel starts running, you don't need you the don't placements need team as much. You don't need a big placements team, and also placements team will not increase in size now. Yeah, the number of students will increase in size. So placement as twenty five percent will become probably five percent. Yeah, will spread. It'll become five percent stable state. However, I'll. keep the sales team still because i want to keep selling my students more and more and more right so today if i have you know closed microsoft and google and facebook tomorrow i want to close tesla correct and sub, like opportunities outside yeah. india and so on and you know hr heads like receivers with open arms because no one else has ever sold to them so we go and say listen this is the student like tumne bhi live asan kar diya main to 20% agency ko de da the group currently they will have to fight for day 0 day 0.5 this that i am and so yeah yeah so forget about those recruiters those are the first line that we you know go to but even recruiters nobody's ever approached nobody's ever approached tesla 
to come recruit from Indian B schools. Why not? Right? Like no one has ever approached Salesforce US or no one's ever approached Google ka Dublin office to recruit kids from India. So we do all of that. Especially if you go to them and say, hey, look at our YouTube content creators who's got a million yeah. subscribers. The, the work will speak for itself. And they don't care whether you're an IM student or not. The work speaks for itself. So we'll always have a placements team. We'll probably currently 25% cost, maybe we'll steady state at 5, 10%, I don't know, let's see. But, uh, but let's go back to the ranking. Yeah. Ranking 50% is on salaries, right? If you're able to get someone in dollars, yeah. you've taken someone at 6 lakhs per year here. Look at the ROI on that. You give them a $150,000 job. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's why it works. Those are the economics, but I'll tell you, most colleges, let's say a VIT, or an SRM, or a Manipal, or a Bits Pilani, or a KIIT, Kalinga Institute of Technology in Bhubaneswar. Sharda also is in this. Sharda also, yeah. They are all running at 50 to 70% EBITDA margins. That is crazy. Yeah, you can Google any of them. Just Google Manipal, Space, uh, Crystal, uh, Credit Rating. Because those are all public documents. You'll find in the first two or three results, look at their numbers. They make for amazing cash flow machines. That's unbelievable. Where do you see this? Uh, where do you, if you were to imagine the Master Union five years when you're in the top 10, paint a picture in terms of where the campus will be, how big will it be, what kind of students, how many students. Yeah. Have you, like, do yeah. you have a vision for what you want to be when you're a top 10 business school? So let's look at the existing top 10 institutions. Let's look at HBS. Correct. Guess what HBS's revenue? Two to four billion? Two to five billion? Yeah, it's 1.4 million. Mm. Close. They'll get to two very soon, yeah. I'm sure. Now guess what is the revenue of their MBA program? Much like small percent, 10%, 20% of that. Yeah, 10% of that. 10-15% of that. It's approximately 200 million. It's less than that. Correct. But what is Harvard known for? The MBA. The MBA program. So, you know, the business school economics work in such a way that your flagship program is where the brand is anchored. But the revenue may not be anchored. But the revenue may not be. The revenue is anchored in executive education programs, in online education programs, in undergrad programs. Oh, is it? In all these other... HBS doesn't have an undergrad program, but for other institutions like Ross or Haas or Sloan, MIT, the undergrad business really feeds into the revenue. All right. uh, and so what Master's Union would look like in five years, I'd tell you, it would look a lot like one of these institutions. Where our MBA program, where the brand rests, is, is, is a baby that we caress and we care for and we never increase its size, we never dilute its quality. What is the size now? Two. We, are at one, uh, we are at 240 now, yeah, we'll be 240 this year. Okay. Right? I don't think we'll ever go beyond 300 or 400, never. We're just making it harder for ourselves to, to get, get a better ranking. Correct. Right. But then, through these executive education programs, because we'll have a brand, we'll be able to go to companies and say, hey, listen, this is going to add value to your company, to your employees, to your HR, to your teams. And that's where we'll actually make the revenue. We go to, you know, people who want to do executive MBAs and we say, listen, that's where the monetization actually happens. And that's where you earn. So the MBA program actually, even though it's run at a profit, not at a very high profit. The executive education programs, which mm -hmm. then the money that you earn there, you can leverage into growing. You can leverage into, uh, you know, doing so much more. Yeah. Uh, will it be a multi-campus? I don't think so. HBS, all the top 10 institutions a single campus. have one single main campus. They might have satellite centers where students can travel to in case they are going to Shanghai, let's say. Let's right. say HBS, I think, has a center in Shanghai. But if students are traveling for some like case study or for some work, 
they can just you know use that as a space but they'll never take admission in that campus new students i think master student will be this campus only we'll maybe add one or two more floors here uh, we'll probably be at 500 mba students probably at 4000 undergrad students and uh, and many many um, um you know executive education students and the thing is that you know sometimes people ask me this question like do you feel bad that you're making money from education right i don't think we'll ever make money from education i think we we'll make money from b2b services say more so most of the profit or most of the revenue would come from these executive education programs where you're providing a service to companies who are using that service to earn more money correct and you're coaching their staff for on certain skills on certain skills right so that's almost like corporate education that's almost a service you're a service provider you're not an educator for a second i mean yeah. just making that you know differentiation so so i don't feel bad about that i may feel bad about my mba program making a huge profit right but the mba program is what creates the brand and then you can leverage that brand to build a b2b services business which is what harvard business school has done correct right their mba program they basically run at a uh, oh, break even yeah at a break even basically but everyone who's going there people are spending yeah this they they are orbitant right they own a billion dollars in executive education in one year in one year if 100 billion a month right. and and i don't think they have a very strong sales team like it's really not it's, it's not like the sales team of let's say salesforce yeah. it's not like the sales team of let's say like microsoft microsoft it's not imagine if it was yeah imagine if hbs had like a executive education center in every country it will always be full i think that 1 billion can be 5 billion arabo when you when mckinsey used to elect partners there's something called a new partner orientation which is a one week long program which is residential in harvard so all the dorms are i don't know how much mckinsey pays for it but i'm fairly certain it's a bomb probably not uh but that's the investment the firm makes in harvard business school and yeah. a part of that 1 billion probably comes from mckinsey in a big way yeah i can imagine that being like such a such a seal of status and prestige mm-hmm. right and this they're going to harvard for xyz exactly that's what that's what we aspire to be i think that's what master student would look like in 5 to 10 years but there, i think there'll be one difference though i think these are legacy institutions and they do some things great right but i think we will change with the world okay right uh i think there is a huge need for courses to be updated like for example this year marketing will change due to the ai movement right i mean a lot of things are going to change in marketing a lot of things are going to change in process development and systems a lot of things are going to change in finance right so we have to make sure that we update ourselves our curriculum every year depending on what's happening in that year legacy institutions don't do that they somehow become prisoners of their own legacy their professors become too comfortable in the way that they have been teaching yeah and they don't update as much maybe in hbs they do i don't want to say no but like i i went to a good like i attended a good business school as well autumn right yeah i mean i took classes there i was in a different program there uh but i don't think that like the classes were as updated you know as as they should have been i right. genuinely because this is whatton we are talking about right so i i don't think other business schools are doing a much better job than whatton and that right. right so i think that's where a huge opportunity lies you know there is one joke and and this may be offensive to a few people but i'll still say it because i didn't come up with that joke <laughs> but i think there's a little bit of truth in it which is that you know 
professor comes to somebody and says, I have 25 years of experience. And the person says, no, you don't have 25 years of experience. You have one year of experience, 25 times over. That is so true. And that's where it falls apart. That, so unless you're keeping yourself updated through like state-of-the-art research, working with students and probably is what I think, like for example, Stanford yeah. is brilliant at, right? Like they, professors are actively investing in their students. What, what Adam Grant did yeah. with you and your... Yeah, absolutely, partner, absolutely. Andy, for example, right? Uh, but that doesn't happen in India. It doesn't even happen in the US beyond the top five, top ten schools. I don't know a single founder in India who has been invested in by her or his professor. Yeah. Not a single one. Probably not. And that speaks volume. Right? Yeah, and in the US, like a lot of professors, Angel Invest. Angel Invest, then work with Rajiv Motwani, uh -huh. example. Yeah, correct. And just mentorship, they don't even give money. Yeah. They just like work with the student. And mentoring a student who's building a business or so on is not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. So it, it, you're right, man. You're right. Sir. But this, one thing you said about research, Let, let's, let's double click on that for a second. I think that was a very good point. You mentioned that if you do research as professors, then you're updated. Like, what is your expectation from a professor's research as a student? That it is useful for me when I learn from you on skills that I will need in when I, when I go into the world. Okay, so when you were at Amluck now, did you feel that any of the professors were using that research for your benefit? I don't even, I didn't even know the research. So, most of the professor's job is actually not teaching, it's research. Their incentives and whether they'll become deans and whether they'll get promoted and whether they'll get tenure yeah. depends on their research and not on the teaching outcomes. And this is true for schools across the world. Chai HBSO, Chai IM. Correct. And my brother was an academic, he's now in a hedge fund, but I, I remember the tenure track. Such a huge thing. Such a politi politicized thing. thing. It's about how many conferences, about networking, it's about how, many, how much support you have by the gurus in the field and he's, he's a PhD from Stanford, yeah. IIT Bombay, go, you know, kind of academic stellar record but he felt he just was disillusioned a lot by the whole thing. thing yeah, I mean you're in a different rat race which is not benefiting the student at, at all. all. So you want to do that research that will get published. You don't want to do that research that is useful, that is useful to the student. Right? And the entire reason that academic institutions were built around teaching and research was so that the teachers would use their research to teach the students. But that is not happening. So the research is becoming an end and not a mean. Yeah, the research is its own parallel track that never intersects in the student's life. You were at IIM Lucknow, it's a great school. Yeah. Why aren't the professors using their research for your benefit? You are the one paying their salaries. Sorry. Yeah. They're doing their own little thing. So that to me is not right. That has to change in universities across the world. That has to change. Right? And it's very hard for institutions that are titanics in nature to shift direction. It's not going to happen. So it comes down to us to challenge that. It's very interesting. I think that's, that's where Harvard and Masters Union will look very different in 10-15 years. So, so you, it will be research driven but more practical research? More consultative research. I want my professors to work with companies and help those companies in whatever way they can. So my marketing professor actually consults with some small brands. And learns also. And learns. Many of my masters are actually CMOs of marketing companies. So that works out well. Yeah. But even my full-time faculty, I have some full-time faculty. 
So you, you, you told me that you send them outside for 50% of the yeah. time and so on. So Bhupesh is a very interesting story. So um, and people can link, LinkedIn search him. Bhupesh Manoran is actually an Calcutta MBA and an Calcutta PhD. Okay. Very few MBAs actually end up doing their PhDs, yeah. but he did, right? Because he was passionate about teaching. Then he came to us at Master's Union and we were his first job. He spent six months in Switzerland. Teaching there, working with companies there, and six months at Master's Union and we pay his salary for the entire duration. Okay. Right? And when he comes to Master's Union, he of course teaches his course, but he also works with all the students. Uh, on their projects, on their assignments, on their VI ventilation program, on their YouTube channels, all of that, right? And in the very first year, he actually worked with a team called 8. Network, okay. which was uh, somewhat like a clubhouse, uh. but Hindi and vernacular and all of that, right? And still doing really well. Those kids were slightly disillusioned because placements were coming up, but they wanted to continue doing this project full time. So Bupesh, out of his own pocket, without telling us, Gave those three students, three co-founders, I think a lakh, a lakh, a lakh each. Really? Can you please sent out of placements and just continue building your startup. Really? Yeah. I never got to know that. I never got to know that. And then later I realized he had done that. And when the startup started doing well and they raised like 100k and then they raised 2 million. They recently raised 2 million from really? Venture Highway and all of these. Yeah. What was the, what the startup? It's called Eight Dot Network. Sorry, okay. okay. Eight Network, huh? Okay. So it's it's like the clubhouse thing, I was saying. Correct. So raised from Venture Highway, raised from a bunch of angels, and then Bupesh converted his debt into equity, and he's sitting on like a good amount of equity. I think professors have a great opportunity to become angel investors. You see the brilliance first. Correct. And you have the most luxury of time, the highest luxury of time to evaluate, value, and nurture it, yeah. and change it all. You see the journey. Yeah, we see the my journey like there. Uh, over okay. three meetings. Correct. This you're actually teaching the student, you actually know how he's grasping, how he's, you know, battling his heartaches. Let's say he had a breakup. Correct. You have seen the student through, through that, all of that. You're the most amount of data points. So now we're trying to come up with a system where we want to empower our faculty. We want to give them money that, hey, listen, if you invest in students, we will match that. So I want to spend money on that kind of research. That, is that kind of concept. I think that adds more value to students directly. For sure. If you keep student outcomes at the very, very core of your reason to exist, that everything which educational institutions do can actually come down to real attributable results for your students. That's that's the idea, yeah. Am I the name Masters Union? I think it was I think like um, we didn't put too much thought into this to be <laughs> honest and you know we had to launch and we thought okay let's just use a holding name and we'll change the name later and it never changed. But Masters Union is just a union of masters I and mean, masters coming together to teach. But it's amazing that you, your, your institute does not have a uh, you know an attendance, exams, great, I mean very, very yeah, limited in a very interesting of, way. That kind of turns the entire competitive exam and the education rigmarole that we have going through school and so on, on its head, right? See, education is one industry that has not changed in 5,000 years. You know, someone came up with this concept that someone will sit in front of 60 students and for whatever reason, it's 60 students yeah. across the world. Yeah. Who came up with this number 60? I don't know. Correct. Correct. That's the ideal classroom. That's the ideal classroom size. I don't know how, <laughs> but sure. Right? So someone would come and stand in front of 60 students, deliver a lecture, again, 45 minutes, 90 minutes. I don't know who came up with these numbers. Yeah. Right. But they've been just followed blindly. Um, they'll deliver something and students will be tested on whatever 
has been delivered three to four months from now because that's the size of the term usually. Correct. Right? Correct. Across the world. And we just accept these design principles blindly. Correct. We don't question them at all. Correct. Right? So why is that? So we sat down before we started Master Union and we said, hey, listen, let's look at education from first principles. Right? Let's, let's look at how human mm. brains actually learn. And let's work backwards from there. This four-month term thing makes absolutely zero sense, or five-month term, whatever makes absolutely zero sense, because students will not remember anything for four months. So, at the time of the exam, they will not remember what was taught in the beginning, unless they sit down with a book and start, matlab, okay. cramming or whatever. Right? They will not, and if they do not apply their learnings, their theoretical learnings in real life, it will not stick. Correct. They'll remember it till their exam. They will forget it two years later when they have to join a company and apply that. They will, it's, just, it's, just, it's a very inefficient way to learn. Correct. So I think learning models are so inefficient. And it's clearly written. You can see that the students in the back of the class are sleeping. When you turn a blind eye as a teacher because you don't want to embarrass yourself. And that is Correct. so sad. Correct. You always look at the first two, three students who are answering all of your questions to get your validation that you've done your job. Correct. That's crime. I agree. You schedule classes... Sometimes at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. Or, or whatever, 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. after lunch, when you know that the mental capacity to absorb information is actually low. Even scheduling has to be done scientifically. That is so true. And if I think about education, like I, a lot of what you're saying, kind of, I go back to my education. Teachers actually solve for the smartest kids in the class, while they should actually be solving for the lowest common denominator. Yeah, the lowest common denominator. But they don't. Because incentives are not aligned that way. And incentives are how many toppers can you create? Yeah. How many people can you crack in the top 100 ranks at IIT? Yeah. So any IIT J coaching class is just focusing on that one child yeah. who will be in the top 10 or top 100. Yeah. And the child who is ranked 4,000, but if you put in the effort, can come to 1,000, that delta and that impact is a lot higher. Because that 1,000 is not going to come on the front of a newspaper, the teacher is just yeah. not incentivized to. Another thing, I think education is considered to be a content problem. That somehow this content has to be transformed from me, the teacher, to you, the student. It's seen as a content problem, right? It's actually not a content problem. It's a motivation problem. Say more. Students are not all equally motivated to learn. So you don't have to teach the students as a teacher. You have to motivate them to reflect, to investigate and to learn themselves. That should be the role of the teacher. As I said in the beginning, I think student is a candle. You have to light the candle. Student is not an empty vessel in which you have to fill your, you know, syllabus. Correct. But that's what education is today. We have to look at it from a motivation problem. So how can you motivate a student to learn accounting by himself or herself? Right? So one experiment we tried was actually with branding. And I think I spoke to you about this yeah. when we met last and I showed you the video as well. Yeah. Uh, in branding, what we did was we asked, we gave students 10,000 rupees. We said, hey, listen, take these 10,000 rupees, go to Banjara market and buy some stuff, right? Come back to campus, brand, create a new brand in real time, you know, make it look nice and valuable, then go back to Cyber Hub and sell that product for a profit. Okay? Students know that this is going to be the assignment at the end of the term. Now they are motivated themselves to make sure that they learn so that they can win that challenge. Yeah, so they'll think about the brand, they'll think about what they want to do, what the pricing is and so on. What we do is we make them take an exam that they're scared of and not excited for. The tyranny of the exams 
learning will never happen if there's an exam in the end. Correct. There has to be a challenge in the end that they learn to solve. फिर वो अपने आप लर्न कर लेंगे टीचर क्लास में ना भी आए वो सीख लेगा बच्चा वी आर सीन दिस वी सी दिस डे इन एंड डे आउट डोंट टीच दम एक्साइट दम दे विल लर्न दम सेल्स एजुकेशन इज नॉट अ कॉन्टेंट प्रॉब्लम इट्स अ मोटिवेशन प्रॉब्लम दैट इज रियली इंटरेस्टिंग एंड आई डोंट थिंक आई थिंक एवरी वन इन द एजुकेशन इको सिस्टम एक्चुअली थिंग्स इट्स अ मोस्ट एफिशियंट वे ऑफ ट्रांसफरिंग कॉन्टेंट फ्रॉम वन पर्सन टू दी अदर That's where all the focus is going. Edtech, edtech, edtech is just that, right? Like asynchronous videos, they upload videos, they upload videos, they upload videos, they upload. Why not? They upload videos. That's where the completion rate in edtech companies is less than twenty percent, thirty percent, because they're not solving for motivation. But motivation is a much harder problem to solve. Very hard. I kind of think about, for example, I think about the arts. I think about my tabla teacher. Hmm. I learned for four five years and then dropped off because of college. So my motivation tanked. I was fairly good at, and I was fairly good regular practice well. But I remember in the, those five years there was some kids who kind of their their progress in in the instrument skyrocketed because they were just motivated for some reason. In in our case, it was to impress the guruji. Hmm. कि आई कैन प्ले मोर एंड मोर कॉम्प्लेक्स थिंग्स विद मोर एंड मोर ईज दैट वॉज द आउटकम एंड हिज शाबाशी वॉज एवरी थिंग एंड यू आर एब्सोल्युटली राइट दैट सचिन सचिन एंटायर करियर हैज बिन बिल्ट ऑन इंप्रेसिंग आई विल नॉट गेट आउट फॉर टू आवर्स सो आई कैन गेट अ शाबाशी फ्रॉम हेम एंड एंड सच एन इम्पॉर्टेंट थिंग बिकॉज इट्स नेवर अबाउट आई डोंट थिंक सचिन prolific batting skills actually came from as much from the teaching of mr achrekar as much as the motivation from mm. absolutely there you go but very few people are are able to crack the motivation problem yeah i mean you know there's only one such in right yeah it's my i have a guitar teacher i'm trying to learn the guitar okay my guitar teacher told me that most of the students are people who have just had a breakup <laughs> and they are motivated to learn the guitar so you can impress a girl <laughs> like literally like you told me that like you need a reason to learn something yeah i mean what are the reason that's what are the reasons how long have they been they've been learning the guitar now 2 years oh really yeah that size also you will be fairly fairly no i'm not that regular okay and i'm trying to learn vocals as well okay um so it's hard it's it's hard to But uh, I I can hold a small crowd together. I think. Oh really? I think I so. Love, I think I, so. I would love to be a part. Let's jam. Yeah. Yeah. Because I I have a tabla now. So like I've gotten. Uh, Are you regular? Yeah. I practice for half an hour every other day. Every other day, morning, evening, morning. Nice. Al- alone or with a coach? Alone. Nice. I I learn from uh, my teacher. In fact, my current teacher. What motivates you now to learn? I genuinely believe that the art of like the. the the act of playing the tabla for 30 minutes energizes me during the day which in a sort of way that is that nothing that a workout cannot mm. that a walk cannot for sure like any morning activity merit meditation though i just cannot do mm. i have tried i can read multiple of those videos and all yeah. my mind is just too wild right mm. it just cannot stay so like what's the best way for my mind to stay on one thing is to play the tabla mm. learned it as a kid something i'm fairly good at 
and want to get better at. So two things, right? One is it gives me a great day. Two is I now am pursuing excellence with a very long term view. I'm like when I'm fifty, when I'm fifty, mm-hmm. I need to be a top hundred tabla player in the country. Interesting. Okay. I need to be able to perform in Zawai Gandharva, which is like a classical music. Whatever. So I have fourteen years to get there, mm-hmm. and I'm 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 already six years in yeah. practice, right? So I have twenty years, which is not like is whatever seven thousand days. So I will probably get in three to four thousand hours. Mm-hmm. So I may not be an expert, but I can definitely be an accomplished. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so that's the aim. Mm-hmm. So now it's a long term one. Kind yeah. of, just changing gears a little bit. I noticed so this goal setting that yeah. by fifty you want to be a top fifty, top hundred, huh? top hundred uh, player. Huh? I also saw a goal in front of your office when I entered, yeah. which is that IPO yeah. <laughs> thing, right? So this goal setting is something I think that comes naturally to you. Can you okay. can you talk a little bit about that? That's super exciting. Yeah, no, I agree. So I think uh, I do feel that direction is important in life, mm-hmm. whether it's for an organization, whether it's for for an individual. Mm-hmm. Whether it's for a sporting team, mm. do you, do you watch football? No, not really. Okay, so if you follow professional football in Europe, mm. the coaching style. So the coach is the most important person in a football institution, mm. more than the players. Mm. The coaching style has gone from winning games mm. to winning seasons, mm. and now it has become five-year projects. Mm. So Pep Guardiola, um, now Eric Ten Hag at United. Jurgen Klopp, the best coaches in the world, think in five-year projects, mm. where even players are dispensable. So they have to manage the mm. club economics, mm. they have to buy and sell players, and have a strategy that makes sure that the team is getting better and better and better. And now sport is so well, so scientifically driven mm. that you're able to measure everything on a player. So a lot of your decisions are kind of very bottom-up. But I feel that that creates the best football games today. So the quality of football today versus ten years back is vastly mm-hmm. different. Like a mid-table team in in England today would have beaten the 2012 champions. Interesting. Okay. Like, so the quality yeah. the quality of the game is gone. Mm-hmm. So I believe that if you are able to think in five-year horizons, mm-hmm. you are able to up the game. Even though, and it's the simple magic of compounding. But if you don't have that. Direction, then you don't know what you're aiming for, mm-hmm. and then it's just, it's just haywire. Mm-hmm. So, personally for me, I always wanted to set goals. Mm-hmm. Like I remember even as a child, um, uh, you know, I did not clear the JE. I've mm-hmm. spoken about it quite a bit, right? After that, I felt, and I felt like those two years preparing for the JE, I was just completely haywire, mm-hmm. and I felt like that was not the right process. So the process involves a goal, and the goal cannot be immediate. Like the milestone can be immediate, the goal has to be long term. Mm-hmm. Now I've tried to kind of make that, that part of like who you are as a. So then every small thing that I do in the process feeds into the end goal mm. in a small way. Mm. So even the diet thing, for example. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, so I believe that if I'm able to take care of my metabolic rate and muscle muscle mass over the next four five years, I will have a great life post sixty. I, I read in, I read some book sure. somewhere where. People, someone like the, the author said. With, in fact, I, I saw a video of David Goggins and Joe Rogan. Okay. Where David Goggins said that, what you do with your body from age, still age thirty, your body can take whatever, no problem. Age thirty to forty, is where it is absolutely critical for you to take 
clinical care of your body mm, vulnerable mm. yeah if you don't 40 onwards you start getting injured you start seeing an ankle break you start seeing a ligament tear mm. and 50 onwards you start seeing cardiovascular stress and so on right mm. but 30 to 40 you are able to build out amazing muscle strength cardio uh, endurance then your life uh, then 40 to 60 won't get injured and 60 onwards your life quality is a lot better mm. so this diet thing for example it sounds horrible and painful but for me it is a small milestone mm. in my larger goal to kind of sure stay healthy so yeah, yeah i think i i'm hope yeah. i'm hope- even, you know we have observed since we have had this goal of top 10 ha right yeah, you you got a very clearly goal to it yeah so like my entire team like would know exactly what it is that they're gunning towards uh, and everyone's own goals or kpis are along are aligned to that top 10 right and even if you ask like my office really? health even if you ask my office health ki bhai kya kar rahe hain yahan pe wo bhi bola sir top 10 banana and and even students have joined us in that mission right so students themselves also are like okay what do we have to do to get this to top 10 they own it as much as we do wow. and so you know and i never did this before by the way and this happened to me accidentally we didn't do this ki okay chalo goal karte hain taaki har koi align ho jaye um we did this because i mean like it was it sounded good and like it made sense yeah and we thought we could do it but now it has transformed the culture of the organization it's amazing how that happens right mm-hmm. that if you are able to fund so the goal has to be realistic time bound with the yeah about things right but if if it is that and you start seeing early wins in your case the first match yeah you know the 8.2 lakhs you know that that 50% is like kind of covered for right yeah. and then you're like fuck now i have my foot on the throat ho sakta hai to ho sakta now i'll press it mm-hmm. you know uh ha you're right right i think like everything else that's also a motivation problem mm. but in the case yeah. of motivation problem the first win is 50% of the job yeah in a century that's what they say right when when i think sachin said this or ganguly said it in an interview when i scored a century my first boundary was important mm. like that's when i knew that the gear had shifted it ho jayega uh, it was never about the nervous 90s or the mm-hmm. the 50 mm-hmm. it was always the first boundary because that gave you the confidence to build it yeah. talk about entrepreneurship pratham for you like it's been 10 years at uh, yeah. at, at the earlier company and now at master junior the three the earlier fourth year now um has it been humbling has it been exciting you seem you always seem to be someone who's just incredibly high on energy yeah. always happy even exhausting to do that constantly especially given you're yeah. facing students a lot and so on um i think like yesterday i was having this conversation with somebody that um you know i think insecure people make for ambitious people <laughs> like does that make yeah. sense yeah absolutely uh i think it was also in the elon musk documentary yeah. where he talks about how he was such an insecure kid and he always wanted to validate himself uh, get validation from his parents and that's why he worked hard and that's why he tried to do all that so i think for me again a motivation problem right again motivation motivation. <laughs> i think that's the thing of today yeah. but i think like um for me it started like that you know in 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 high school when i had just joined and it was a very good high school it's called the dune school hey i oh i got dot yeah i got dot school yeah oh wow very good yeah uh now the negative comments will start on this video <laughs> oh, people don't like that bro for some reason i think i think there's a little bit of a uh, is it is is it considered to be an arrogant place i think it is yeah i think it's going to be a snooty place it's going to be an elitist place 
it's because it will be a Congress place. Oh really? Yeah, because like Rajiv Gandhi went there, and then like a bunch of his like Manish Shankarayar went there. Oh really? And so I think some BJP guy like at some point said that oh like you know New School ki sarkar hai, and tab se like you know we've been termed as this elite. So, wow. So I just say at school in Dehradun. Okay. <laughs> very proud of the school that is. Uh, so in Noon School, I came from a very small city called Jalandhar. Correct. Right. And everyone else came from Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore. Spoke very good English. City kid. Is this a boys' school? It's a boys' school. Okay. Yeah, and that's another thing. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. And I think I was deeply insecure. Was my English wasn't good. Oh. I had the katora cut. And everyone yeah, else yeah, had yeah. like long hair and all all of that stuff. And I think I was deeply insecure throughout my high school. And you went there at what age? Class seven. Class eight. Wow. So this is when you are at your most vulnerable. Yeah. You are like kind of adulting, but yeah. not really. I think you are building your personality. And my personality was built around deep insecurity. I was I was always afraid. I could never like speak out in a class. I was always thinking, what if I mean English kinjatiye? Then I can't go. You know, I was very deeply insecure. And and I think um, then it was about you know how do I get over my insecurity? Now I have to do something cool, something crazy, to get everyone's attention, to to prove myself. Like you have that underdog kind of feeling, right? Yeah. And and I think uh, that's when I found swimming as my uh, anchor. Did you swim before, dude? No, I did not. I learned it in swimming in in school. Okay. And I was good at it. And I realized I'm getting good at this. And let me hold this as my anchor, and I'll build my confidence around swimming. So even though I was still not a very good English speaker, I still wasn't very good at academics. I still wasn't you know doing other well at sports, the cooler sports like you know hockey and cricket and soccer. I wasn't very good at that. But swimming became my anchor. I built my confidence because of swimming. Okay, and 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 it's I, amazing how sport does that, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. You amazing. get that initial win. It's amazing. The sport like it makes you competitive. Right. It makes you goal goal oriented. Um, I'm sure you would be measuring your like time yeah. a lot as a competitive swimmer. In football, for example, which is a sport I used to play, it taught a lot of like if you did swimming really is it taught it teaches teamwork. It yeah. teaches like. Brotherhood, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's a huge way. Right? Winning together is a distinct thing. I think for me, what I learned on the football pitch is probably the most important things I apply at running the company. Probably more than what I learned at McKinsey or at business mm-hmm. school and so on. Mm-hmm. But sorry, you were saying. No, no. So this continued for me in college as well. So when I went to college, I went to an American university, where now as an Indian, I was deeply insecure. Again. Yeah, again, because there there were these like beef eating, you know, American, American boys, you yeah. know, and they were like. Bulky yeah. and of course, like they look better, and like you know, I had like pimples, and also <laughs> girls want to look at me, and I needed something to prove myself. I need. I had this yearning that you know, what is going to be my uh, anchor? What, what what am I looking for? And so I, in fact, I think uh, went to a hackathon, uh, like a startup weekend kind of a thing, right? And uh, I did well there, and I won that startup competition, and I'd gone to Princeton to do that. Okay. And I remember my picture came in the the magazine, the college magazine. And and then कुछ तो किसी लड़की से attention मिल गई होगी या कुछ तो मतलब उसके बाद वो था that I was like okay this could be my anchor genuinely I held on to it and then I was like okay let me just build more on this let me double down I went for another hackathon and I tried to enroll into the venture initiation program at Penn I got through that I think I got more attention uh, I started getting recognized a little bit and so I think for me entrepreneurship was a way to make myself secure I think that's the honest truth. And I thought deeply about it a little bit. 
That is amazing. You you have you have the uh, confidence and self assurance to actually admit it as openly as you have, which mm-hmm. is which is enduring in a way. And even now, you know, like when I, you know, go on Instagram, when I post something, right, and and let's say like you know, foams covered us or something happened, it, it feels good. And so even right now, a lot of the motivation for me personally comes from getting validation from other people. I don't think it's about money. I don't think it's about anything else other than getting my parents validation. Whenever some article comes about us, I'll first send it to mom and dad. And until unless they give a thumbs up <laughs> like in their own, you know, parental way in the group, something is like waiting inside of me to 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 get to get that. Wow. I I really think my sense of entrepreneurship comes from there. From from validation from, from validation from, from, from people around me, especially my dad. My dad's been an entrepreneur as well. Correct. And I've heard that. Like, talk about sure. talk about that. So, uh, Bania family, <laughs> and my granddad used to run a sweets shop. Okay. So literally, like, sell sweets, like laddu, peda, murphy, right? All of that in Jalandhar. You look like this after you come from a from a yeah. family that that used to have sell laddu. The, the, the dealer never snorts his own. That is true. So, um, so my granddad did that, and then my dad decided not to join huh. my granddad's business and start on his own. So he started in automobile, um, and in Jalandhar. In Jalandhar, right? So he became a Bajaj dealer, and um, it's a very interesting small story. I'll tell you. It's actually you might enjoy it. So my dad um, was was a Bajaj dealer, and he to become a Bajaj dealer, you have to apply for a dealership. Correct. Right, and all the dealership decisions are taken at the top at Rahul Bajaj level. Correct. Right, no, no more. So Rahul Bajaj interviewed my dad. Really. And said, asked him a question. Kian, why should I give you? A dealership in Jalandhar. You have no money to invest in the dealership because you'll have to buy land, buy build building, all of that. You don't come from any experience. You're a young chap. How old are you, Dad? My dad was what, 25, 26. Wow. Okay. Right. And I have this other person who I can give the dealership to, and that other person, interestingly, was Sunil Bharti Mitter. Really? We used to we used to be from Ludhiana. Oh wow! And so he also had an opportunity because I think he already had. um automobile business yeah the generator business i think correct so he was also in in line for getting a bajaj dealership in jalandhar this story i've heard so jalandhar ludhiana like twin cities twin right? cities yeah close by and uh, and so my dad answered that hey listen because i've been born and brought up in the sweets business i know every household in jalandhar i know exactly what their paying capacity is i know exactly how much money they spent on their son's wedding <laughs> two weeks ago i know the demographics and i can like better than anyone else. and better than anybody else and i can probably you know do much better targeting when we have to go sell chetak at that time right and so, so somehow by like a complete stroke of luck uh-huh. my dad actually got that dealership which was very yeah, uncharacteristic yeah of bajaj to give a dealership to a complete novice doesn't happen so then that built up his you know his business interests in automobile and then uh, he got into education so he wanted because he had you know made his um not fortune but made his money in that business in, in automobiles he wanted to do something for the local jalandhar community that had supported him that had bought his vehicles for 10 years correct and in jalandhar your grandfather involved in uh, in the in the bajaj dealership or no, no no my dad you know granddad on his own is it yeah oh very cool he has he has my dad has brothers so okay. together with his brothers much older than him oh really yeah, yeah my dad is youngest of six right now and eight at some point okay yeah so uh, but but of course he had the support of the family um and then uh, he started with this small college 
called Lum- and the sweet shop is called Lovely Sweets. The autos business, the automobile business is called Lovely Autos. Really? And he started a small college called International Institute of Management. Okay. Okay. And it was affiliated under a pri- local government university Correct. called Punjab University or Correct. Punjab Technical University. P A N J A B one Punjab University. No, this was uh, Punjab Technical University. PTU. Okay. PTU. You okay. know PTU? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So it was affiliated to PTU. Okay. And what happened was he started in 2001, and no students came. Like they came, but like not the best. Like our seats just got filled. Okay. And we were very surprised because we had a strong local brand, right? But then Dad realized he have named my institution International Institute of Management. It should be Lovely Institute of Management because Lovely was a brand that was known in Jalandhar. Correct. And people associated with Lovely because you know they would buy sweets during celebrations. So Lovely had a very positive. Sort of a local presence. local presence, and so then he changed the name to Lovely Institute of Management, and I think the next day the seats filled up, in the second year, like in one day everything filled up, because the brand was so strong locally, even though Lovely as a name for an institution sounds horrific if you think about yeah, it. I to be very honest, I no different at all. But mm-hmm. whenever I just I would always think how how is this place going to become aspirational? Yeah, yeah, but. I was not someone who had sweets at Lovely. <laughs> Perhaps. So you know what? Like for me, if if that if I mm. knew, for example, and this comes back to our earlier point, that if you know the person behind the brand, then that becomes the brand that, more than the brand itself. So yeah. If there were people in Jalandhar were, who your father had given sweets to, or your grandfather had given sweets to, when their tenth board and twelfth board exam had come out, they would be very inclined to study in a place with, which they were absolutely. That's that's exactly what happened. And then Lovely Institute of Management became Lovely Institute of Technology. Then eventually it became Lovely Professional University (LPU). Correct. Um, and so I, I was born into that. Uh, I was. This is two thousand one, is it? Yeah, this two thousand one. Very recent. Yeah, yeah. And the university only became a university in two thousand five. So in eighteen years, LPU has become like this gigantic. No, actually, university. LPU became gigantic in six years. We became, I think, thirty thousand students in in six years only. If I remember correctly, maybe I'm off a year here and there. Yeah, yeah. Because at LPU also we used a very similar playbook that we're using at Masters Union. Focus on placements. And how did your father do that? At that time, was your mother involved in the business as well? Yeah, yeah a little bit. Okay. At that time, and then she became very involved at the university. Okay. My mom used to teach actually. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Before LPU was before, before LPU during uh, LIT LIM. So before before no LIT. before that. Okay. Before she was raising me. Okay. And my sister. <laughs> okay. But my mom was a MA in English. Okay. And so she started teaching business communications. Okay. Because I mean, as a family business, at the end of the day, you you know help your husband in whatever Correct. you can. Mom started teaching, and she was a great teacher. Um, and then she ended up joining the university full time. Now she runs a lot of the operations at the university. Wow. Um, so her story is also very interesting. But uh, LPU became, I think, the largest university in India in like six, seven years, and that was only on the back of great placements. At that time, if you remember, this TCS and HCL and yeah. Infosys. Were becoming very large, and Correct. they were hiring kids like tens of thousands of kids every year, right? Correct. And nobody had gone to these institutions, to these companies, and pitched them placements at their campus. And so LPU had that idea that let's go and pitch placements to HCL and to all of these companies and sales. And why don't you come recruit at Jalandhar? At Jalandhar, we'll give you these fifteen thousand kids, who we will train exactly in the same way that you need them to be trained in. Right. And so we worked backwards from what HCL and you know all of these companies were recruiting for, and that's why LPU became successful even in a small town like Jalandhar. Yeah. Away from any airports 
and the promoter not having education background and promoter not having education background and so in fact the early team members at LPU were people who were not coming from education background they thought differently they were all coming from different sales diabo background and my dad himself was coming from you know amaruti and bajaj background and from a very process driven and outcome driven right like maruti used to have you know these like goals and these sales targets and all that and he brought that culture into lpu let's not look at institutions like institutions like bureauc- bureaucratic institutions or you know legacy institutions let's look at them as as organizations with goals and principles and targets and let's go and achieve those targets so lpu is incredibly high energy if you compare it to even an iim we are high energy we we target a very different segment which is probably a mass premium segment and not the most premium segment that let's say srcc or an iim uh but that mass premium market is actually where india is today correct so did a lot of that help you um in the, so very interestingly so my father was in in service for the longest time so he was at tcs for almost 14 15 years then mm. he was at a another information consulting firm in the us so a lot of my childhood was in the us right then he was ceo at tech mahindra in india correct. so kind of had a father who was ceo so i had like you know kind of uh uh notable conversations were very interesting my mom was always you know of course raising yash and i was her primary job like a lot of our parents yeah. at that time the the mother took on the took on that load but in 2001 2002 we quit his job as ceo at tech mahindra and started his own company called airtight network so i was in 9th 10th standard a lot of my formative entrepreneurship thinking um actually was formed watching my dad whiteboard ideas having early employee on you know recruitment in our home his uh, co-founder was a professor of computer science at iit kanpur there was a out and out tech business uh, but they sold it in 2019 so mm-hmm. i saw that journey at least while i was home zero to 100 journey till till my till my 12th right after that it, it was kind of more distant but it still those 2 3 years um played a big role in mm-hmm. kind of making me feel that that is something which is a very purposeful pursuit journey. in life mm-hmm. correct right did that happen for you as well oh absolutely i mean i think just being from a banya family uh, i think entrepreneurship is also somewhat in your genetics and i think in our family it was just like i mean it was never an option like you had to start your own company okay. your own business but joining them was ever a yeah. thing yeah so that was that was one of the calls i took early on that do i want to work with my father in jalandhar or do i want to build something in the us back yeah. in college when i had to decide right and for me it was an easy decision because um i didn't want to live in jalandhar at the time and so between new york and jalandhar what would you rather <laughs> So I think for me that was the But isn't like small town life great like in in a way like Jalandhar like like small town Punjab is beautiful yeah. like the quality of food I just yeah. And maybe after 40 uh-huh. maybe around 35 but I think at 21 22 <laughs> I still have a lot of like partying left in me <laughs> That is true okay. that is true So uh, and I thought I'd learn a lot more working on my company by myself in New York in New York and my dad supported that he actually never asked me to join him Okay And and I was the older of the siblings. Yeah, I have a younger sister. Okay. Who also ended up starting up in college. Okay. And runs the company to this day. So where did she study? She went to NYU. Okay. And before that, she was in a boarding school in Dehradun as well. Okay. And so I think my dad pushed both of us to start up by ourselves because 
I think in his in his mind, and I can probably like you know put the pieces together now, looking back, he said, "Jab tak ye khud nahi karenge na, inko kam ki value samajh nahi aayegi." Yadi ab abhi mere business mein aage, they come to my business right now, then ye apni respect nahi bana paenge. ये मतलब जो मेरी टीम है इनको मेरा बेटा है मेरी बेटी ही समझेगी एंड दैट्स वाई देर नॉवर बी नेवर बी एबल टू मेक द मोस्ट आउट ऑफ देर लाइफ आई थिंक दैट्स वॉट माई डैड्स लॉजिक वॉज साउंड आई थिंक दैट मेक्स एंड सो आई इन फैक्ट फील दैट पेरेंट्स हु पुश देर किड्स टू जॉइन दैम वेरी अर्ली ऑन इन देयर करियर्स थिंग इज ऑलमोस्ट अ डिसर्विस करेक्ट करेक्ट वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग एंड इज गिवन दैट दे आर अमोंग्स द मोस्ट successful education entrepreneurs in the country today uh, given how well lp was done uh, is there a pressure on you as you build out masters union to kind of live up given of course that you talk about validation and yeah. so on um, is it is it is yes, it your so, way to impress them i think so i think subliminally i'm in a competition <laughs> with my father like i i mean i'm very comfortable admitting to that we don't talk about it uh, But I think, but I think subliminally, it's going to happen. I mean, like, I, I'm sure we can, you know, some clinical psychologist can probably like chart it. Which point where it's all happening? But I think, something I think I'm trying to win his validation, and I'm trying to. The other thing is that the expectations, right? I was born with a silver spoon, um, and so obviously the expectation from me is like 10x more, right? That I will surpass my dad, and I'll do all of this, and. my dad has been telling me this then ha tu to karega my mom has been telling me this everyone around me has been telling this ki you know your name is pratham and you know you have to be number one all of that correct so i think i think all of that breeds insecurity and all of that breeds ambition do you feel like you don't get enough credit because you have a silver spoon in your mouth you're born with a silver spoon like people always discount mm-hmm. achievements what you did with your first company what you're doing now it's fascinating like for me but is it do you, do you do you find you know, whether it's potential investors or there is social circles do they discounting to ha it matlab it's a given you know without any kisiko i try not to talk about it so in fact if you think about it you ask me how did master union start and the right answer should have been that i've seen my dad build a university i wanted to build a university but i did not answer in that way even when i came to meet you yeah. i found it out at the very end when you were like uh you know when you were walking me out of master junior so yeah. people don't look at me differently i think but i know i have after i think few people know i think very few people know. yeah i think now we are uh but that's okay but i think like i think it's, i think it's, it's i think you should wear it wear it with pride because i i do i do but i think i still don't want people to look at me differently and discount me yeah which will happen it's just human to do that so i i don't try to hide it other than for this reason i think For example, like also pop culturally, right? We paint second generation entrepreneurs. Even if they're doing completely different things, big drama in a weird way. Have you seen Succession? I haven't, but but I've seen the you know trailer. I mean, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Pop culture, like if you see kind of just the way the narratives are built, star kids, all of that. Yeah. You know, there's you're, the, you're you're like there's no upside. My family business professor at college used to say this: that the first generation builds it, the second generation grows it, and the third generation brings it down to the ground. Yeah. It's called the third generation curse, no? I said, okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just didn't want any part of that curse. <laughs> oh wow, interesting, interesting, It's interesting. Uh, no, but I think uh, you've built something. You're building something fascinating, man. I think education. It's very. Um, uh, it's rare to see a founder, and I think there is benefit to being a second-time founder. This is your second gig. Yeah. 
like bania family and genetics that's the first come that, that's first then your fa- your father doing something in your presence yeah. while you were in 9th 10th i'm assuming you would been like in yes, basically yeah. right so you saw that happen uh then you did your you know us startup and now you've done this so this is like culmination of fourth experience uh but having said that i think your understanding of education as a space is fascinating we have had pramath yeah you guys have such similar names my god it's like it's, <laughs> it's actually the same letters yeah it it's just a, yeah so yeah. i was like so we had pramod over who and same college oh yeah yeah he was also pen he was also pen yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> so he kind of spoke about education uh through the lens of being a founding father at isb and a show side kind of doing all of that but you've understood like your hold on the economics your hold on what it takes to be you know a a, a high performing school from the get go and your goal orientation is is absolutely amazing so uh from from like you know just cheering you on from a distance i think we've learned from isb a lot yeah. of what we do is is and a lot of what we are able to do is because isb did it 20 years ago and i think isb was was a much more ambitious and a much more s- structured experiment uh and ambition at the time like at that time when isb was started you know it was india's first one year mba program yeah everyone was two years two years two years mba means two years and for them to come and say no there's something we can do in one year in one year and the practitioner approach and, and eight semesters of six weeks eight semesters a lot weeks. of this was a lot of it was so in fact before starting masters you know the first meeting i took was with mr oh. sinha and i went to his home and i just took notes about what he was saying and literally that became the blueprint for masters union wow he is also a founding father father of masters union Wow! Is does he come and teach as well? No, he he hasn't actually visited the campus yet. <laughs> you so, must. He will be fascinated. He's such course, a. Yeah. He's like very when he was here. We we shot the episode for like for hours, mm-hmm. and it was messed. I, I've seen that episode. Yeah, it was messed properly through and through. Yeah, yeah no, he's 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 the uh, founding father of like the modern Indian education system. Yeah, uh, and I've full credit to him. And I mean, uh, what we are do, I mean, the kind of disruption that they created. we're like 10% of that right i truly believe that and that was at that time in that indian mindset 2001 that mindset was a lot less startup and early adopter and it was very very rooted in tradition but to get india's top industrialists together to come into we are right they solve for placements they solve for time they solve for you know education through amazing faculty i think they cracked the, the, the you need to go to 35 40 years of churning out alumni after alumni who was successful to kind of reach a place they crunched all of that down into like the first year itself and you know they reached rank 11 globally within 10 years really you know, yeah isb did that actually so what wow. i am like my goal is not that crazy wow isb did it almost 12 years ago i think in 2011 they were rank 11 where are they now i think there's they may be like in their 30s or 40s i think right now in b school global b school global b school rankings so they reached 11 it's not that bad that's fascinating that is actually quite good that's fascinating no man i think uh, pra- pratham thank you so much for coming on the barber shop um sharing your journey on education uh on building the masters union i think the clarity of thought you have is 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 is, is quite amazing um and what you have built like i'm hoping that we can do a barber shop episode on oh, our site for you guys yeah, yeah you know i think with we are we are looking at i think with saishan aditya we're trying to look at different formats so 
we might want to do something with your students we might want Let's to do, do something it. around entrepreneurship with with younger kids so we should definitely talk more about uh, about how to do that but your personal journey um you know pass off pass my regards to your parents absolutely and to your grand grandparents and uh, you know for for what they have built uh but cheering you on from a very short distance given yes, that, no, given that we are neighbors and we are uh but thank you for coming here and i would love to have you come and teach as well if not full 20 hour course then at least a small module uh, and talk about what you have built here no uh, we were just talking about how you know your your brand is so becoming ubiquitous now yeah and the entire journey that i mean we should tease that as a case no for sure i will i will absolutely do it yeah i think between me and deepak and a couple of more folks here we can actually tailor a you know digitally native brand content marketing fmcg offline kind of 20 hour course it will be divided maybe 5 hours with me 5 hours with the oh yeah exactly that yeah and do something which kind of and then actually have the kids come here yeah uh, and see it for themselves or, and and do like a small project yeah uh, to kind of live the, the case they live the case live the case i mean there are enough companies in a one mile radius you can live like 50 cases just yeah. right here absolutely no, but thanks so much for for letting us i hope you had fun though No of course of course that's great snacks great company <laughs> no, this, is, this is a great conversation thank you so much sir and uh, uh folks um just check out masters union in fact if there is one uh, place we look at for um, uh for amazing content inspiration it's what you guys do uh, mm-hmm. so like guys right back at you smart relationship yeah, yeah absolutely all, all. So thank you so much thank you. thank you we have something oh wow appreciate yeah Thank you so much. This is for you. I, I would have something for Prachi, but we'll have it. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to accept. Use all of. Okay, okay. So it's only for you. Something. <laughs>